Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, today we are covering the third victory of Jesus. This is part three of this week's doctrinal topic and focus as we sort of wrap up and put a bow on this big picture 30,000 foot view of what's really the story of the Bible and what's going on here and how do all these doctrines that we've been discussing uh, this season kind of tie in together. And this is how it happens. This is how what we see in the Old Testament and all these foundational things that get laid down sort of get wrapped up and find their solution and their conclusion in the ministry and in the person of Jesus. And so today we're going to look at a third spiritual rebellion. That's right. There is one spiritual rebellion. The first one happens in Genesis 3. As we looked at yesterday, a second spiritual rebellion happens in Genesis 6. And today we're going to look at a third spiritual rebellion which occurs in Genesis chapters 10 and 11. So in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you get essentially the reasons why the world is the way that it is. And what we read about in Genesis 10 and 11 is the Tower of Babel. We read about all the nations that existed at the time in Genesis 10, and then the story of how Babel was a project of these nations, which when we get more into the historical context, we see is really an act of rebellion against God. It is a direct violation of what God had called people to do, which was to spread out and to multiply. And instead they're going to cluster together and they're going to construct a temple to basically make God come to them. And so God divides the people into the nations because of their continued rebellion. Even after the flood, we've covered all this before. And in Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9, we even see more insight into the events at Babel because God placed the direct authority over these rebellious nations into the hands of the sons of God. Now, not the sons of God who rebelled in Genesis 6, because again, according to Jude and Second Peter, we know that those sons of God are already in captivity at this point. They were punished for their actions there. So God didn't place the nations into the hands of evil spiritual beings. He placed them into the hands of good spiritual beings, at least good at that time. But then in Psalm 82, in the first two verses, we read that God is holding the sons of God, his counsel, in contempt, in judgment for being corrupt. Now, if we're sort of reading between the lines and putting the pieces together, why would God call them corrupt? Well, we know that they were put in charge of the nations, according to Deuteronomy 32. And we know, according to Deuteronomy, again, in chapter 18, verses 9 through 15, that the practices of the nations who followed these gods were corrupt and evil. So if we want to know sort of what the gods of the nations are like, we should look at the practices of those who worship them and the practices that they encourage. And these are not good practices. These are abominable practices to God. And so God is condemning and judging these sons of God for their corruption. So the nations in the Old Testament are cut off from God, but we know from the Bible that this is not God's ultimate plan for them. 
We know because of his promise to Abraham that God's intention is actually to bless all nations through the people of Israel and ultimately through the Messiah that God would bring about. And so what we see here is even in the Old Testament, there are hints of God's intention to ultimately reverse what has been done here in Genesis 11, that God is not intending to abandon the nations forever, that God ultimately does want to bring the nations back to himself. We read in the New Testament that the gospel must go to the Gentiles as well, and that God is using the spreading of the gospel message to graft us as the nations back into the family, into his family. And we read about that in Romans chapter 11. In fact, when we look at the book of Acts, specifically chapter 2 of Acts and the Pentecost event that we read about there, what we see is representation of the Jews from among all of the nations. And as they become Christians, they turn around and they go back to their nations and they form basically cell groups, these uh, sparks uh, intended to light a larger flame and spread the gospel throughout the entire world. And interestingly enough, lest we think that this is coincidence somehow, the nations who are named in the book of Acts, or the people rather, I'm thinking of like the Ethiopian eunuch that runs into Philip in Acts chapter 8, for instance, and all the places that are named in the book of Acts, which refer to people hearing and becoming believers. These are modern and updated place names in Paul's day and age, but they correspond exactly to the same places and nations named in Genesis chapter 10, meaning that as the gospel goes to these people and these places, God is essentially through representation, he is redeeming these nations back to himself. That through the gospel, through Jesus, the nations and the division and the imprisonment and punishment under these evil or foreign gods in the Old Testament is being reversed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That as the nations come to embrace the gospel, they are fully and finally set free. And Jesus reverses all of the, the spiritual darkness, the spiritual oppression, and the bondage that these people and the nations were under all the way up through the Old Testament time. And it really is true that God's promise to Abraham is it holds true that through Jesus, all the nations of the world are being blessed. And to me, this is one of the coolest sort of Old Testament, New Testament tie-ins. Just this idea that you see the nations uh, early in the, in the Bible just being rebellious and they are punished, and yet you see the redemption of these same nations come through Jesus into the uh, into the New Testament era. It's just a really amazing, it's an amazing picture. It's an amazing reflection on just the wisdom of God and how his plans can take a long, long time to come to fruition, but that they are just, they're awe-inspiring. They're genius to see come together. It's just, it's a cause for worship, I think. So tomorrow's episode is going to be a little bit different. We're going to basically recap this season and tomorrow is actually going to be the last episode for season two 
of the Rooted Podcast, and we're going to take a little break, and we're going to start working on season three. So tune in tomorrow to get some more information about what exactly is in store for season three. I think we're we're really excited about where we're going to take things this next season, and I hope to see you then. 